Welcome to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast, Torah with a Point of View, produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, your host and dean of the Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles. I'm excited to welcome to the Bully Pulpit Podcast my colleague, Dr. Ruhama Weiss, who is the Parallel Associate Professor of Talmud and Spiritual Care and the director of the Blaustein Center for Pastoral Care and Counseling on the Jerusalem campus of our institution, the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. And Dr. Weiss is also a poet, artist, and public intellectual. Ruhama, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I think it was in 2006 that you performed an installation called Beit HaMidrash Shel Asota, the Wayward Woman's House of Religious Study. And apparently you studied the Tractate Sota for a week in silence. In the interview that I read, you cited violence against women as part of the motivation mm-hmm. for the text and your choice of text and the actual installation itself. So I can only ask you now, 12 years later or whatever it is, that we're facing all kinds of headlines in the United States about violence against women, if there are some echoes uh, from your installation to today that you would want to point out or think about or maybe rethink? Oh, wow. That was really 12 years ago. And it was not just silent. I didn't eat for a week. I ate only carbs, like uh, yes, like uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son. So I ate only carbs, drank only water, and I studied Torah. That was not in silent, but I didn't speak about anything else but uh, the Gemara. And yes, it was that feeling that Masechet Sota, you know, can explain and also express so much violence against women. It can symbolize the Jewish way to violate women. To violate. To violate women. So it was like a symbol, but an important one, to dedicate a whole tractat to the issue of unfaithful women and how we treat them, how the tradition, how male... It's not even unfaithful women. It's a suspicion of unfaithful women. According to the... Bible, it's a suspicion according to the Talmud. It may be more than a suspicion. They, they are checking it really well before the ceremony. So maybe it's not just a suspicion, but it's not important. Even the fact that a woman can be unfaithful and men can't be unfaithful because it is all right for him to betray his wife according to the Torah and according to the Talmud and the Halakha. So even the notion that something that men can do without being right. punished Regardless, yeah. is forbidden for women and that they treated her with so many with so much violence so the the sota ritual in in both torah and uh talmud is is a very aggressive ritual where effectively it's like a witch trial it has all kinds of uh, incantations and potions that are toxic and uh, test Mm -hmm. the women who are suspected of adultery and i think it is also you know pornography Masechet Sota is pornography. Pornography, really. it's sort of indulging in the, are, in the 
they describe how they take, you know, they describe in details how they violate her and how they take the clothes off and mm -hmm. how they open her mouth and force her to drink the water if she doesn't want to drink it. So actually what they are doing, they are raping her in the temple. Right. I it's, think it's, it's a rape. It's like judicial rape. Yes. The holy rape. Yeah. It's something right. in the temple. The, the, the Kohen and all the other, her husband, all the other male, they are just raping her. So it's pornography. It's the Jewish pornography. The, the funny thing was that I had... It was in a shop in the center of Jerusalem, next to a bookshop and restaurants, and people entered before they went to work. It was like, you know, their Bet Midrash, and they were disappointed to know that after a week I'm going to close that. But I was, you know, hungry and <laughs> <laughs> starved. And it was... For me, it was something very different f from the way they experienced it. And I had a, a huge sign, so, yes, and the, the title was Beit Midrash Shel Asota. But in Hebrew, you can also read it as Beit Midrash Shel Asote. Ah, and right, I make heard it masculine. people reading it, Beit Midrash Shel Asote. I felt so bad that, you know, some people thought that I am a Tomechet, supporting guys that are, you know, abusing women. And oh, right. Like, yeah. if you are Sote, if you are a pervert. It's like a place where you can... It's a pervert. Sote, right, right. the modern translate for Sote is pervert. So they thought that, I'm I, support, that I support the perverts. The male perverts. What? Why? Because the but, name was Beit Midrash like, Sote. Like this is where you can come to study if you're a pervert. Is that something like that? I don't exactly <laughs> know, but they were very surprised to find Beit Midrash Sote in the center of Jerusalem. Wow. Like, and seeing you, a woman there, didn't make them reread it as. So yes, that, of course. After they entered, right, you right, know, but they saw you. Many, well, the sign was outside. Yes, outside in I the see. street, and people just you know walk in the street and read it out loud, and then I realized. I was sleeping there also, so I heard them over the wow. night, you know, all the drunk people in the street reading that sign was quite an experience to do it for seven days. I also celebrate Shabbat over there with people, wow. without, you know, talking, but celebrating Shabbat, so, sleeping uh, there, doing everything. Could you get a sense of what people derived from your installation? Yes, they wrote, they even wrote things to me. I had uh, a visitor's book? Yes, visit, thank you, visitor's books there. People wrote things. And I think that many of them, especially women, came there to, like, like you're coming to Shiva. Yeah, to mourn. To mourn their history. Hmm. Ouch. And it, was, it was powerful. I even have a place where you can hide and just be with yourself and pray or do whatever you like to do. So sometimes Haredic people came there and they liked the idea that they Ultra can hide Orthodox. and yes, uh, and still learn Torah with me. But many times women just came there and hide and maybe cried and mourned their What about history. men? Did you experience anything with men's responses? Yes, I can say that I had 
a very interesting experience relating to, to made me understand nonviolence communication because the fact that I was not eating and I was I became more and more weak during that mm. week and I was afraid from violence I was afraid that people are going to enter the the store and you know try to do something to me to harm me they even wrote mean things to me in, in the, the visit in the book but when they met me and so that I was so weak they didn't harm me Oh, wow. And I realized that if people realize that you are not going to fight back, they will not. Usually, they will not fight you. Right. right. One hopes. Because they didn't want to have a guard. Right. right. That would have changed. I decided have changed not to here. have a guard. Wow. So back to today, what what are you uh, learning from our experience here in the United States with uh, sexual harassment claims in every level of society making the headlines? What is so difficult is the truth. The things that we all suffered from is terrible. Uh, and the headlines, till now, it is only just the beginning of yeah. the real truth that we are all going to uh, explore, to share, to understand. I don't want to talk that much about punishing the criminals because, in a way, half of our society are criminals because the rules have changed. And I think that what we really need is something like they had in South Africa, the uh, peace... Reconcil uh, truth and reconciliation. Yes. It's only for each one of us to decide if he agrees, if she agrees, to go to that through that process and not to sue mm -hmm. the people that harmed her. But I think that what we really need is to talk about it and to understand the motivations and the rules and the secrets that leads us to the terrible deeds that happened and still happening. I'm interested by your reaction with respect to the rules changing. It's a compassionate position which you're taking. If we're going to change the rules, then, then you have to at least consider the possibility that you can't or you shouldn't or it's not the best solution to punish the criminals for something that... What you're implicitly saying is that there may have been a time when these people didn't consider it a crime. And only now, after the fact, are we changing the rules and considering it a crime. I don't want to justify. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not reading you as justifying at all. I'm, I'm reading you as compassionate. When you say that the rules are changing, you're basically saying that prior to the rules changing, it's not a crime because the rules didn't make it a crime. And now the rules make it a crime. And, and you're and you're you're trying to be, I guess, fair-minded. No, I just want to say it was a crime even before. It was a moral crime, even if the rules were different. It was a crime, but it will not help us to put. But were the rules different? That what I'm getting at is the change. The rules were different, but it was still, from moral point of view, it was Why, a crime. Who says the rules were different? Thirty years ago, was it okay to beat your wife? Was it okay to rape your wife thirty years ago in Israel? According to the law, yes, it was okay to rape you. It was legitimate, yes. I don't know if 30 or 35 years ago, but laws also have changed. It was okay to rape your wife. It wasn't a rape at all. And according to the Bible, you don't have rape. 
as a category. No, I'm, I'm, I'm bracketing the Bible. Mm -hmm. I understand the, the Bible, uh, but, but we've shifted the conversation to, to Israeli society. It's also here in America, it wasn't a crime. You know, 35 30. years ago it was, sure. I mean, no, in a, no. first how of all, how many years ago it was no, a crime? We, we had a nominee for the Supreme Court of the United States of America. This is not the first time this has been headlines. Where I was going with the question was that, first of all, as an American, I would never say that the rules have changed that recently. If I have a frustration as an American, it's that the headlines today are implying that we are opening a new consciousness to violence against women, which I don't accept, because I think that we've had, I grew up in a consciousness 30 years ago that was already pretty developed that said that these are crimes. So I don't feel like the rules have changed. Do you know, 20 years ago, I was sexually arrested by my one of my professors at the university. Mm. He was trying to date me. Yeah. Okay? And basically, when I was writing his exam, he stand in front of Melai, in front of me, yeah. asking me why I w didn't answer his phone calls and telling me that he gave me a good grade last semester because he was hoping that I will date him. That's classic, classic professorial harassment. Yes, but it was legal. It was legal. Do you see it changing in America from your perspective as an Israeli? I don't, I don't know. What, I can't say anything. I can say nothing about America. Do you America. see it changing in Israel? Yes. For the better? Yes, certainly. And I... See, can see also the backlash, you know. I yes, see that sure. people are we terrified, terrified. And the talkbacks that I get in my calm are from terrified people, terrified men and women that are scared that their husband, their child, or, right. you know, someone will remind them their own stories, their own uh, abuse that they're trying to forget. And when I'm talking about it, I'm, you know, forcing them to remember what sure. happened to them. So it agent. is difficult time. And Trump era is, yeah, you know, yeah. is part of the backlash. Right, because he's part of it. Yes, it's Absolutely. part of the backlash that we are, that we have to deal with right now. But I think that I feel the progress. Good. I feel that not very fast, not very easy, but I feel progress. Good. I'm glad for that. Okay, I'd like to change another question if I may. Okay, yes, as sure. As you're Happily. <laughs> In 2013, you, uh, you wrote a beautiful reflection on holiness titled Holiness in the Dirt. The translation reads this way at the beginning, which I really love. You say, it is a truism that holiness means separateness and differentiation, close quote. And then what I love is uh, how you follow up and, and you challenge us with the risk of making that our, our sole definition of holiness. You say, it is but a short distance from here to the understanding that a person who separates himself or herself from the community is holy. I love the fact that you called it a truism. One of, I, li I like it when we force ourselves to get out of the comfort zone of Jewish definitions that feel comfortable they often feel progressive and liberal, and we rest on these comforts. 
and you're shaking us a little bit and saying, well, you know, separateness may be part of the definition of holy, but if we take it too far, then we'll be isolated and atomized and we will be unholy, misunderstanding the definition of holiness. And so I want to ask you a broad question about being Jewish in the world and history and Jewish sociology. It seems to me that much of what we are in the world is striking a balance between holiness as separateness on the one side and holiness in the dirt, as you call it, uh, uh, by which I mean fully engaging with life, including non-Jewish life and culture, and not being totally separate from the community, and still cherishing our separateness. Uh, it seems to me the, the tightrope, the, the balance that, that Jews have have struck in the world, certainly in the diaspora. Um, I, I don't know if, if you experienced Judaism that way or not, uh, but I thought you elicited it. Between so. separation and getting involved mm -hmm. in yeah. things, yes. And, and I'm thinking also between things that we think of as purely Jewish and things that we think of as uh, foreign to Judaism, or, or uh, but, but it could be any other. No, it's a different question in Israel, and I'm very, very much Israeli. So because if you live in Israel, you're probably a Jew, and everything that's going on in Israel is has to do with being a Jew. And Don't you think that Israelis sometimes trick themselves into thinking that way? when in fact Israel is bombarded all the time with all of these external influences, mm -hmm. not least of which is American. But don't... Oh, of course. It, it doesn't feel of so Jew. In other words, the, the no, notion No, but you don't have... I'm just saying, of course, I yeah, totally yeah. agree with you. I'm just saying that we don't have the same challenges that you have because we can't lose ourselves that everything is Jewish in Yeah, but it's a Israel. delusion. <laughs> it is. Of course it is. In a way, the question that I'm dealing with, you know, my son just entered the IDF now. I just spoke with him. He's terrified. It's, yeah, it's, some... it's crazy to be there. It's not terrified from, you know, wars and the yeah, real yeah. things that he should be terrified <laughs> from. But, the, you know, the, 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 all the rules there, and he forgot his weapon three times already, right, and right. <laughs> they're going to punish him for that. And all those small, crazy things that, that happens when you enter IDF. And it really, you know, I'm against it. I didn't want him to go there. I told him that I will not be happy, but I will support him if he will refuse. And if I'll have to visit him in jail, I will do that. And he considered himself pacifist, but he said that, you know, he still wants to go to the army because all his friends is doing that. And right. it's part from being male in Israel is, and consider yourself strong and together we say in Israel, I don't know how you say that. A, a, a real man, macho. A real macho, yes. So he is in a very, you know, he's, he went to a special unit in the army, even though he doesn't really believe in what is going on there. And I'm saying that relating to your question because he's seriously considering not to live in Israel after the army. Mm. We are, I, know, I know that it doesn't sound real, but we are American citizens. My father uh -huh. is American, so 
to, it's not a bad idea to not, leave? Yes, not a bad idea to leave. But in that possibility lies also the possibility that he will not marry a Jew, that he will not be a Jew anymore. Because from our not rational perspective, but from our feeling living in Israel and being safe and sure that you'll be you'll stay right. a Jew is one thing and while living not living in Israel anymore sure. means that There's maybe a... you will not be a Jew anymore and I don't ki- I don't really don't mind I don't think that it so it's is not important. A, if you don't mind then you, it's not a risk no it's not a risk it's just the possibility it's just something that it's a risk for Israelis it's not a risk for me and people always tell me threaten me ask me if I don't they think that they threat me by saying that my children will not stay a Jew. If they leave Israel? No, just they will not because I'm reform, you know. They oh, even right. don't do the whole way. Just tell me you reform, your kids will not be Jewish. And I really don't care. I really don't care. I don't think it's so, important. So tell, tell us, talk to talk to me about why it's not important that your because child be Jewish. Because the important thing is that he will do the right things in the eyes of God and people. And being a Jew is just a way. Mm-hmm. It's a tool. And if it doesn't help you, you don't need it. The fact that I'm a Jew doesn't say that I think it is important. It is important for me. Yeah. It is my way to do a Adam, to do the right thing in the eyes of God and people. But it's not of course it's not the only way. So Natural. it is not important for me that he you know will marry a Jewish girl or stick to to his Judaism it's not important I can't be proud in Israel anymore and so I don't want to convince him to live in Israel I'm there already I can speak only Hebrew I write poetry I can do it only in Hebrew I write novels I can't do it in any other language I'm an Israeli I'm not going to change that I'm 51 I'm not going to change it but he's a young guy. He hmm. can start his life well, wherever he likes to. And I don't feel that Israel is better than any other place in the world. And not that being a Jew is better than being... Yeah, I don't, I don't think that... I think there are many of us, most of us, I don't know. I certainly don't think that being a Jew is better than anything or Israel is better than anywhere or or anyone is better than anyone but I think many Jews nevertheless believe that there is human richness and beauty and specificity and color and texture in developing your tribe and being part of your culture for the sake mm-hmm. of the human experience in the world so that I want Hindus to be Hindu I want them to be rich thriving Hindus and to bring Hinduism to the best it can be and I want Jews to do the same for Judaism but there is a certain 
beauty in the continuities of a community and the loyalties. And I, don't th I think that sometimes tribalism and loyalty get a bad rap. They, they, they're, they're assumed to be jingoistic. Do you know what jingoistic means? No. Jingoistic is, is, is violent nationalist, mm. I'm better than you, uh, ugliness, and, and thoughtlessness. And this is the usual interpretation to Judaism in Israel these days. I know, but I, part and of it me, is terrible. I, I, want, I, want, I want us to be able to offer a different kind of loyalty and, and, and beauty that recognizes the loyalty and beauty that other people have to theirs. Without, if, imagine if the world didn't have that. It's so rich, the fact that we have different languages and different... But, you know, I think a lot about the legend describing Avraham destroying the statues that his father... Right, this was. is a midrash where uh, Abraham's father is an idol maker, which is intended to illustrate how radical Abraham's uh, epiphany was to God by contrasting him with his father who was an idol maker. And there's a famous story about uh, Abraham's intrinsic monotheism. And Ruhamad, tell the story. Uh, so, no, you, you told it, you know, so much better than... <laughs> no, no, please, you it's your story. Okay, I just wanted so just he, for the listeners. So he started, he destroyed his father's statues? Idols. Idols. Okay, destroyed all of them, and then he left and start his Lech Lecha and the his, new his journey to the religion, land. yes, the new religion. And we are very proud about what Avram did, right? Yeah. We admire well, him for it's that. It's told in a proud way, the story. Yes, yeah. that he was brave enough to think about his father's beliefs and to criticize them and even to do things to emphasize how he criticized his father and disagree with him. Right. And how stupid, from his point of view, was his father believed. The story casts the idea of idols as, a, as silliness. So I, I'm not afraid, I think we should not be afraid that our children will do the same to us and show us that not we're not stupid, okay? His father also was not stupid and the legend does not it's not a fair legend. It doesn't do justice. To yes, it doesn't do the justice to Abraham, but to Abraham's father. Right. One day, obviously, Judaism will disappear like Christian, and like the whole world, yeah, everything yeah, is going sure. to disappear. So, if this is the time for Judaism to disappear, right now, in a hundred years, I don't know. So we have to accept that. It is not important. Well, we only have to accept it if it's true. And it may not be the case. Yeah. But I'm not going to fight against it. I'm just, I want to watch it. I want to understand. Mm. And I think that the most important thing is not to hold our Judaism and to stick to it. Mm. The most important thing is to do more things, to be, you know, to do the right things. And you don't need Judaism for that. Judaism is an opportunity. I was born there. I was raised in an Orthodox family. I have no other opportunities than being a Jew. And I love it. I love it. I really... I'm used to it, and I think I love it because I'm used to it. And it's a sm we have a very sophisticated, smart, interesting tradition. 
It is unique. And that's that's powerful. That to me strikes me as something not not to act out of fear of losing something, but out of affirming that uniqueness. That's something to enjoy and something to share. Yes, but you can only share it if if it exists and if we call upon ourselves, if we stay in it, to be the forces for the right and the good. If we leave it, we can't do that. I know. I know. That's why I'm, you know, so much in it. But, and I am addicted to tribes. And yeah, my family is like a big, I have four brothers and one sister, and four of us are not Orthodox anymore, so we are like, Heritage. like a tribe. <laughs> we are. We have dinner every second Shabbat we have dinner together we we do Kiddush and all the you know all the kids together and I love it and my son also loves it but this is me yeah and if eventually we'll find out if it's your son as well he'll tell you I don't know (laughs) (laughs) right now he's in the army and I don't like it at all before we return to the bully pulpit we want to tell you about other programs on the College Commons platform for digital learning beyond this podcast which is available to the public at large, synagogue subscriptions offer in-depth learning, including online courses, live interviews, and a new program called The Teaching Podcast, selected episodes from the Bully Pulpit enhanced with texts and teaching tools. We look forward to meeting you at collegecommons.huc.edu. Now, back to, oh, one more thing. Help us out and rate us in iTunes, and whatever you do, do not give us five stars unless we deserve it. Now, back to our podcast. Ready to move on to another question? Yalla. Do you think that the Kotel, the Western Wall, is a place of idolatry? No. That was short. Tell me why not. You know, I think that women of the wall have all the right to, to do what they're doing, and it's okay, and if you want to worship God around a... You know, any kind of stone or flowers or everything, I will fight for enabling you to do that. I'm participating. I'm trying to help them because I think it is an important mavak um, struggle. And I know that we can't always choose the places and the issues. Right. Right. for our struggles. So it happened to be that Nashota Kotel finally... Women of the wall. Women, sorry, women of the wall. It's such a success and an important issue. So I'm joining them from time to time. But no, I don't want to pray in the Kotel. I don't want to pray in the temple. I don't want the temple to be built again. So I still ask the question. You answered the question about the women of the mm-hmm. wall, but I want to ask you the question about the, 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 the idea of the Kotel in general. And, and, and Judaism's or some Jews' attachment to it. Is that attachment Avodah Zarah? Is that attachment idolatrous? It's Stam. I don't know if it's Avodah Zarah, but it's Stam. It's nonsense. It's not important. Worship God wherever you like and every way that you like to worship God. The attachment to walls and to graves cost life. And it's even worse than adultery. It's, it's stupidity and we pay 
very high prices for this stupidity. And your president is now. Well, you, you told know. me you're an American citizen, so he's our president. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't vote for him. I'm sorry, I have my own problems with Bibi Netanyahu. But right now, he's dangering, risking our life for the stupid idea of announcing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Who cares? About Who cares? And Jerusalem... America's recognition of Israel as the capital of Jerusalem. It's not the same thing. No, it's not. It's equally stupid, perhaps, but it's not the same thing. But it's a beginning of it's a, a big new deal. war. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, right now we have war in Israel. More than 100 Palestinians were wounded. One was already killed. Okay, because of the stupidity of who owns Jerusalem and who owns this small, stupid mountain. So I can appreciate being connected to stones and other objects. But the fact that it is so expensive enabling me to appreciate it. I don't appreciate it. In other words, it's not I'm worth afraid it. Of it's, it. Not, it's not that you think it's a stupid idea to be connected. It's that you think it's not. You may be connected, but the connection isn't worth the cost. It became a mean idea, mm. okay? A way to control people, to try to control history. So right now it is a mean idea. Basically, I mean, I have a marble here in my bag. I'm very connected to that marble. But if you'll try to take it, uh, even if you ask for it, I will give you this marble. I'm not going to fight for it. I'm not going to fight for the quarter. But my son eventually will fight yeah. and will risk his life for stupid things like stones and graves and God knows what. Well, you yourself said it's not that he's fighting for the stones and the graves. He's fighting for the attachment to the stones and the graves. It's, it's the attachment that you both recognize but also warn that no, it's not No, worth the attachment it. is a manipulation that Bibi Netanyahu we should and rabbis... No, it is a for, manipulation from the very beginning. The idea of Har Moriah and of the temple, it is all... Do you want me to say that? Patriarchal manipulations? Sure. Say what you, to say attach, what you want to say. <laughs> to attach people to one land, to one God, to one idea, to one belief. What, okay. if people, what if people are that way, and we don't need to be manipulated, but that's part of who we are, these attachments. We shape our attachments uh, to conform to the needs of our tribe, as you said. And that, and that I don't need to be manipulated into that. I might do that myself. I don't, you know, I'm not so easily manipulated. You are. Me, we are all very easily manipulated. By whom? Yes. By fellow manipulable people who are also, I mean, By at some point it becomes circular. cultural ideas, and if we are going back to the beginning of our conversation, monotheism is a manipulation. Okay, believing in one God, relating to him as a male, is a manipulation. And we are all into it. You relate to God as a male, right? We are manipulated to sure. believe. I'm not sure if I relate to God as a male, but I, I take your point nonetheless. And I, I, I just think that it's a very, very fine line between being and being manipulated. <laughs> and it's very, when you can't tell me who's doing the manipulation, it can be very hard to buy into it. But Even feminism taught us that we are all so manipulated 
to believe even 40 or 50 years ago that there are some works that only male can do. Right. It's not that I don't believe there are manipulations ever. All the time, every step, every breath that you take, you also take manipulations into your soul. It's not that one doesn't take manipulations. And I agree that that feminism, consciousness raising to sort of pull back the veil and see, I I get it. I agree with that. However, I also think there are other deep strains of humanity at the same time, which aren't just manipulations. They're also exertions on our part to the world, because we all also are creative beings as individuals. We, we, we try to manipulate nature. We try to manipulate our situation within frameworks that may be manipulated or not, or partially. But, but we are actors. We're not just recipients. I think that our mission as human beings is to separate between what is really happening and manipulations. And most of the things are not nature, but culture and are really manipulations. And we have to separate. And our freedom comes from our ability to separate between nature and culture. What if the only productive things also happen to be the manipulation? Like what? I don't know, monotheism. What if any of the civilization building impulses are intrinsically in your category of manipulation? I'm just saying what if, I'm not saying they are. What I'm trying to say is, that you can gain your freedom by constantly asking yourself, is it really true that I can do only this or that only that kind of people can do something and other can't do and this is the right way, this is the right way to to do things. That that kind of manipulation, I guess. But we don't do it. We don't ask these questions. And feminism and human rights movements taught us to do it, but but it is so difficult to do it. Well, I think that the teaching wasn't wasted. I think that a lot lot of people can and do ask that all the time. But there is a lot, you know, a lot more work to do. Fair enough, fair enough. We agree. There's a a lot more work to... Personal level. Yeah, yeah. For me, at least, I have a lot more work to do asking myself time and again, not even in a pol- not only in a political level, but also in a very personal level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In another blog that you published in 2013, called uh, it's a blog called Justice in the City, and apparently it's uh, Ari Cohen's blog. Yeah, well, you collaborated with Ari Cohen, okay. who is a colleague of ours at know. the American Jewish University in He's Los great Angeles. Scholar. Yes. He is indeed a great scholar and uh, a beloved colleague of of ours at the Hebrew Union College. Uh, You compiled a small glossary of Hebrew words on war and peace, like nitzachon and kibush, but you didn't use the word peace. So I want to give you as a, a, a parting shot, as we say, your last word in the interview to complicate and define the word peace for us in Hebrew. Whoa. I really, you know... I love to do these things in Hebrew because how can I speak about the word peace in English? I don't understand this word in English. In Hebrew, it is such a rich word. It's the name of God, Shalom. It's one of God's name. And also, Shalom comes from whole, from Shalem. Fullness, yeah. Fullness. And this is a real question. 
if you can find peace only in you know in fullness and where everything is and when you have like many Israeli says the right conditions and also the right enemies to do Shalom with you need kind of fullness in order to do Shalom or to make peace or that we have to think that you make peace in a broken world where the world is not Shalem and our world is broken Shalom peace may make it a little less broken and a little more healing but we, I think that we have to make Shalom in order to have to have Shalom in order to have peace in order to have things in their fullness in their holiness and I don't think that we can afford waiting for things to be for the conditions to be right in order to make Shalom because they will never be right peace you make only with enemies and you have to work, make it with your worst enemies worst enemies yes thank you thank you so much to talk to you. you've been listening to the College Commons Bully Pulpit Podcast produced by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion we hope you enjoyed this podcast and please join us again at collegecommons.huc.edu.